You know, for a couple of years, first Tuesday of every month, we sat down for an extended chat with State Senator Andy Menard. Of course, Andy Menard is no longer a state senator, but his successor has graciously agreed to continue that tradition with us. And so we welcome to the program today for the first of those monthly chats, State Senator Doris Turner. Senator, great to have you here. Thank you so much for making time in the schedule to talk to us each month. Well, good afternoon, and thanks for the invitation. And before we get started, I want to congratulate you on 25 years at at, uh, WMAY, and we are so happy to have you there. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Yeah, you you and I have uh, spent a lot of time together mainly talking about city issues, but now, of course, uh, you're a state lawmaker. Uh, I think the last time we talked, I mentioned you had uh, noted in a podcast that there was a pretty big learning curve here, but you've had almost a month now to, to get it all down. So uh, how, how uh, comfortable are you feeling in the job at this point? You know, um, there is a learning curve, but I feel I feel very comfortable. It was one of those things where I had to hit the ground running because I was coming in in the middle of a session and you know, it wasn't like I was elected in November and then, you know, had orientation and time to to work up to it. So, it was almost it you had to do it. So it's it's been interesting. It's been exciting. It, it's been a ride, that's for sure. Well, uh, and and the good news is you got in there before the governor's budget speech, so you had the uh, the same sort of advance warning that anybody else did about what the governor was going to say. So let me get your thoughts after you've had now a little bit of time to digest it and to kind of get the lay of the land, figure out where your colleagues stand on this. How realistic is the governor's spending plan going forward? How likely is it to undergo some major changes? before the the final budget is passed later this spring? You know, I I think that we just have to recognize that it is the governor's uh, budget proposal, and it's absolutely that, a proposal. And, um, you know, everyone will have an opportunity to take a look at it, delve down into it, and see what they like, see what they don't like, and where they think they can um, improve upon. There are, um, you know, several things that I I was very uh, hopeful and, and optimistic about, um, you know, one of the things that I say all the time and what the governor actually said as well is that our Illinois economic recovery is directly related to our uh, recovery from the pandemic. And those things kind of go hand in hand. So I was uh, happy to hear the governor's commitment to our nuclear fleet. And I had the opportunity to tour the Clinton uh, nuclear plant a couple of weeks ago. And that was uh, a very eye opening experience. And it's to learn not only about, um, you know, what it meant in terms of nuclear energy, but also what it means to that community. So I was excited to hear about that. I was also excited to hear. Can I stop you for a second? Because I want to ask you a little bit more about that. Because right after you took that tour, Exelon announced they're basically splitting into two companies, one for the nuclear power generation side and then one for its utility side like Commonwealth Edison. And they once again made noises like the, the nuke side of it not necessarily all that profitable. They might be looking to close down plants. And, and they've made these noises before. If uh, if Exelon comes to the General Assembly and says, hey, you guys got to do us some favors, you got to give us something here, or we're going to start shutting down nuke plants, what happens? You know, I was, I was really uh, optimistic from what I heard from um, the – uh, individuals who are in charge there, and they talked about the success of that plant. So I, you know, I'm very optimistic, and I think that things are going to work out. I, you know, I think that 
if we hear something different, it will be definitely be an opportunity to listen and learn and see what we can do. You know, that plant, just when you look at um, that area, has a tremendous economic impact. And it's not just on Clinton, but in that entire central Illinois area. There are people that go to work there from, you know, Bloomington, Champaign, Decatur, from all around. And then there's opportunities throughout the year where they have upwards of uh, 12 to 1,500 people that come there for a week to perform different operations. And can, you can only imagine the, the economic impact that that has on that um, central Illinois area. But, so it's definitely Exelon, something that we have to take a look at. Exelon knows that, though. They know the kind of impact it has. Don't they have you over a barrel a little bit if they come back to the legislature and say, hey, you gotta you got to do us some favors or we'll start shutting plants down? Uh, aren't, aren't you kind of between a rock and a hard place then? No, you know, I think that there's always room for room for negotiation i i you know i think that sometimes when um companies make those types of demands you know it's almost like when you're negotiating on buying a car you start high knowing that you're going to come low so i you know i i just don't see i don't see that happening right now i could be wrong i could be naive about this but i don't think so state senator doris turner is here with us this afternoon senator we got a few other things we want to make sure we touch on let me ask you about the criminal justice reform bill recently signed by governor jb pritzker i know you know that a lot of law enforcement organizations and law enforcement officials right here in this community very upset about this bill they say it's going to make our communities less safe they say it's going to make the job much harder for police are, are their concerns in any way valid? You know, I think that a lot of what happened is that people started talking about what was wrong with the bill and uh, making a lot of misrepresentations about the bill. Um, You know, a lot of what is included in that bill really builds on what, um, you know, what I did around police reform while I was on the Springfield City Council. And if you remember, I had the same type of reaction from people. They started bashing it, bashing the ordinance before they had even read the ordinance. And I think that that's a lot of what's happening with with this. Uh, When we've also had the opportunity to talk with different um, law enforcement entities and organizations and ask them, what would you like to see different? But no one has come back and said, we would like to see this, this, and this. So, you know, I think that a lot of it is, um, you know, a lot of people not really knowing and understanding what is actually included in the bill. You know, they talk about, um, you know, it doesn't defund the police. It doesn't change or take away any collective bargaining rights. It doesn't allow anybody that's charged with a serious offense or uh, a risk to anyone to, you know, be released. It doesn't prevent a judge from revoking pretrial release. And, you know, after prison time for individuals serving time for um, heinous crimes, it doesn't alter any of that. So I think that this is something where people need to really, before they start bashing the bill, they should really understand what's included in the bill. You've only been uh, in this job for a few weeks. You've already got about a dozen bills that you have filed where you are the uh, the chief sponsor. Uh, what do people need to know about uh, those particular pieces of legislation? What's what's the big push uh, among what you've already uh, filed so far? 
You know, um, I'll talk about a couple of them. One of them, which I think is really important, it removes barriers to the timely treatment of individuals with serious mental illnesses. And um, in a nutshell, it's in the event that someone is experiencing a manic episode, they'd be able to receive treatment right away, whereas previously there was a mandate that they had to go through a long series of protocols before they could get that treatment for certain prescribed drugs. So I think that that's very significant. The other one is um, one that uh, really expands the diversity and inclusion and fair wages for persons with disabilities. So it And it talks about um, making sure that individuals are offered a minimum hourly wage that is set at or above the state minimum wage. And then another one that I think is near and dear to me as well, because it lowers the voter registration age for pre-registration. And I think from um, 17 to 16, which I think will increase youth engagement in the electoral pro- uh, process. And then now, can um, I, I want to ask you about that. You said pre-registration. Mm-hmm. So are 16 year olds going to be able to vote then? What does that mean? No, no. Right now you have someone that is, um, 17 years of age who will be 18 years of age on the date of the general or consolidated election can, um, you know, register. And and so what this bill would do would lower that to 16. So, no, you would still have to be 18 in order to in order to uh, vote. But you can have a 16-year-old right now who could be 18 by the time of the 2022 general election. If that bill were law, the, that person could, quote, pre-register right now, and they would be registered and ready to go by the November general election of 2022? Yes. Okay. Uh, before, yes. I, before I let you go, because we're running tight on time here, uh, I want to uh, do a quick exit interview from your previous job, that of Ward 3 uh, Alderwoman here in Springfield. And let me ask you, first of all, about the person nominated to be your successor, Roy Williams Jr. I know you two at times have been uh, political rivals uh, on occasion in the past. What What were your thoughts about uh, the selection of him to replace you on the city council? You know, um, that was... Uh I was not involved in that process at all. The mayor did not talk to me about it or include me in any part of it. So I think that, you know, the mayor went through his vetting process and that was the person that he chose. So, you know, I, um, I wish him well. And I've, uh, we've been in contact with each other and I've offered to be of any assistance that I can possibly be because, you know, I, I live in war. I still live in war three and even though I have transitioned to uh, the state legislature, I still represent Ward 3. So I want to see Ward 3 move forward. And, you know, there are a couple of things that um, I wasn't able to, that I would like to have completed that I wasn't able to because of, you know, the way that I left very abruptly. So I would really like to work with, um, you know, the, uh, the next alderman to ensure that, you know, those things move forward. So I have a vested interest in the success of Ward 3, so I'm going to be there to support to support the, uh, the new alderman. And finally, you wanted to stick around long enough to be able to vote on the final city budget, which you did. One of the last votes you took was to make some changes to that budget, including the uh, trimming of $1.4 million from the fire department budget, cuts that the department says will lead to layoffs of firefighters. Why did you support that cut? You know, I had very long conversations with Alderman Redpath. That was his amendment. I had very long conversations with Alderman Redpath 
about his amendment as well as conversations with other alders uh, regarding it. I think that it was a very tight budget ye- budget year, and um, I think that there were there was some concern about um, the way that the firefighters uh, the the uh, fire department's budget had uh, progressed in the past. And so I think that it, it was providing an opportunity to have everyone sit down, take a strong look at it, and see what can what can we do differently. Do you think that, that those cuts can be made without firefighter layoffs? And if there are layoffs, is that a good thing for the city? You know, I, um, again, in my conversations with, uh, with, Alderman Redpath, who who sponsored the or, the uh, amendment, and others, and um, you know, and the mayor, we all seem to think that yes, they can be made without layoffs. Did you talk to the fire chief about that? You know, I had I I did not have a conversation with the fire chief. I had a conversation with uh, one of the union individuals. But I did not have an opportunity to have a conversation with the fire chief. I appreciate you indulging me on those uh, last couple of questions oh, no from, from City Hall. And now you're turning your attention to the State House, and we're looking forward to having these monthly conversations with you. State Senator Doris Turner, thanks very much for your time here. We'll talk soon. Oh, yes, we will. Thanks.